I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I am so delighted to be sitting here with Aro Kwan, or Reese, and she is a National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellow. The Incendiaries is her first novel, and it was named a Best Book of the Year by over 40 publications. Now it's in paperback. Welcome, Reese. Thank you so much for having me. This is I'm so excited. Yay! For, for listeners who may not have read it in hardcover, do you want to give a little intro to The Incendiaries? Yeah, of course. Um, so it's about a woman who gets involved with a group of fundamentalist Christians, the group turns out to be a cult with ties to North Korea, Oops. and they end up <laughs> <laughs> and they end up bombing abortion clinics, healthcare clinics, in the name of faith. Right, and it's told from the point of view, though, a man. Yeah, it's told from the point of view of the man who falls in love with the woman who falls into the cult, and he opposes much of what the cult represents. I've I've read so many articles about you already where you talk about how he had a fundamentalist Christian upbringing mm. and he quit that mm-hmm. lost his faith and and that's something that also happened to you. Yeah, so I was I had this sort of strange mishmash of a religious upbringing in that my family's Catholic, um everyone's Catholic. I grew up Catholic, but then when I was in junior high, I started going to my friends' churches. Oh, interesting. And a lot of my friends were involved in non-denominational, charismatic, um, talking in tongues churches. There's a lot of singing and dancing and falling to the ground, um, which like, I think as 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 someone in junior high, high school, and I could imagine even now, um, that sort of direct access to the ecstatic was so fun. It was so seductive. I loved it. And so I spent a lot more time with that variety of Christianity rather than Catholicism. And so, yeah, I was super religious, thought I was going to be a pastor. Um, And then when I was 17, I left the faith. I lost the faith. 
And it was very much like Will's, how you describe Will's loss of his faith. In some ways, those are perhaps the most just like directly autobiographical parts of the book. Just like the enormity of the loss. All the ways in which it's 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 ongoing, you know, it's like a, it's a, it's a daily thing. Um, the morning, yeah, the morning hasn't stopped, and I think I'm just only recently starting to come to terms with the fact that, or with the likelihood that I'm never going to stop mourning, that it's just going to right. that it's just going to be this way, and that this is this is this is just going to continue to shape my life. I read that it's hard not to write about it. It is. And it's, it's, you know, sometimes, okay. So with my new novel, um, I was trying so hard to not just like have a single mention of God in there. And then, and then that fucker just like keeps sneaking back in. It's so annoying. I'm a fucker. <laughs> Can you tell us anything more about your new novel? Yes. It's about, oh. um, it's about two women, two artists. One is a choreographer, one's a photographer. And the photographer becomes professionally and then personally obsessed with the choreographer. And in the book, I'm really interested in grappling with questions of what women are allowed to want and what we're not allowed to want. And increasingly, it seems to me, and I get nervous when I generalize. um, Sure. Some women. As a woman. Yes. (laughs) As a woman in this world. Yes. um, I feel as though... Anytime there, anytime I want to take care of other people, that's that's very acceptable, and not sure. only acceptable, that's desired. Like mm-hmm. people want me to have children, people want me to take care of other people. Right. Um, but anytime I want something for myself, whether that has to do with art, ambition, jobs, sex, anything physical, right? If I just want to date myself, um, that becomes immediately suspicious in a way, and like something that I have to defend in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And I'm just fascinated by that. By the ways in which it's totally okay to want to help other people, but right. it's less okay to want things for myself. And so in this book, these these women are, um, they're both artists, they're both very driven, and they really, really, really want things. And I want to, I want to see what happens, um, what, it, what it looks like. Excellent. So there are art monsters, you might say. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. God, Jenny, um, Jenny gave us all a gift she, with that phrase. She sure did. And she blurbed your book, yes. Oh, yes. she did. She did. She was one of Jenny my... Jenny Awful. Yes. I love her. Um, and I love her writing so much. Yeah. She came up with this concept that mm-hmm. few women get to be just a charismatic artist. Mm. So tell me what it's like to kind of revisit The Incendiaries a year after publication. What's mm. that like for you? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. In some ways, it isn't yet a revisiting in that there has been, like for the past year, there's been um, interviews and events and festivals and speaking engagements where I get to go to um, universities and other places. I really love speaking at universities and speaking with students. It kind of never really, it's more as though it never really stopped I'd say wow that's a that's a lovely thing to hear an author say yeah I, I Riverhead's doing well by you <laughs> I, mean, I, I know I, I'm, I'm so lucky and I feel very lucky <laughs> and yeah I really love speaking with undergrads and grad students so that's something that like I yeah I've had I've had a number of speaking engagements and that's, and that's something that I that I love to keep doing are, are the questions you receive from undergrads about craft mm. or I mean, I, I imagine that on book tour, you experienced many people who had also given up their faith. They do ask a lot about craft. Um, a lot of them have questions about like how to be an artist in the world. Sure. You know, just like the, the yeah. just like the, the like practical steps 
of how to find a life in the arts, which like I love talking about because as an undergrad, I had no idea. Like I was like, of course. I was like, I knew there were living writers, but mostly <laughs> like I'd been reading dead, dead, very sure. dead white writers. And so I was That's like, college. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, well, I know Henry James made a life for himself, but like that dude's dead as fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so like, I didn't know how to figure that out. So that people ask a lot about that. People have a lot of questions about a lot of writers who are marginalized in any way. Right. Um, have a lot of questions about that, like how to write and how to think about writing as like a woman, as a queer person, as as an Asian person, as a person of color. And that's always something I love talking about too. Something that is really lovely about talking with undergrads in particular is that they're not stressed out yet about like publication. You know, like they're oh, not, sure. <laughs> they're, they're, they're stressed out about other things. Yeah. <laughs> they're still they're still like their love is so pure, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's very like energizing. In hearing other people talk about your book, mm. did you learn anything about it that you hadn't considered before? Something that really surprised me was, um, on the one hand, I love hearing from people. I mean, I love hearing from readers in general. And I really love hearing from people who've who've lost their faith or who have complicated faith, in part because I felt so alone when I lost my faith. And right. so being able to not only provide receive a little mm. bit of fellowship that means the world to me and like it like pretty much always sets me off crying if someone says like <laughs> I'm an ex-Mormon and reading your book like helped me feel less alone then I'm just like oh no okay I'm gonna start crying now <laughs> it's time for tears but it's also been really interesting to hear from very religious people uh it's not necessarily what I expected I didn't know what to expect but very religious people have been reading the book too yes and not with hostility, you know, like, and and what ha what seems to happen predominantly is that when when religious people read the book, they um they say that they appreciate all the ways in which the book does not laugh at faith. It sh it doesn't at all, and it doesn't. It's not a punchline. It's not a joke. Faith is taken seriously, and I think maybe that's partly because that's not as present in fiction and in current fiction, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. especially not in fiction that's not intentionally geared toward religious people. Um, right. And so that's been really lovely too, is having conversations with people who are very religious and just, I don't know, talking through things. Off the top of your head, who else is doing it really well? Like talking, I mean, I... Yeah. Marilyn Robinson. Oh my God, she's so good. <laughs> she makes me want to be a good Christian. I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, she's amazing. Um, this is a little. Uh, this is a little to the side, but I love the ways in which Ann Carson talks about faith. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, she's just. It's it's really interesting, and she she just the ways that she talks about like what she believes and doesn't believe, and what she. And what she in like the absence of faith, like it's it's fascinating, and she's just so good in general. Like I oh, love yeah. her brain. Her brain. She has a good brain. She has such a good brain. <laughs> <laughs> All of it, really. I feel as though Knox. I don't even yeah. know if the appearance of of um, faith explicitly appears, but because it's about a lost brother, like about death, the specter of what that means sort of haunts the whole book. And yeah, that's when I. That's one that comes to mind. Tell me about writing an unreliable narrator. So part of me, there is some, there is an extent to which um, I'm not sure I ever think a narrator is all that reliable, sure. um, no matter who they are. And even in like the most like, you know, omniscient third person, mm -hmm. middle march, 
narrator who knows exactly what's going on with everybody narrator like that's still that narrating voice is still still has a personality like they they have opinions they're they're choosing what to fit um what to look at and so so there is that on the other hand it's also true that will the narrator of the incendiaries is is a little uh, on the spectrum of extremely reliable to extremely (laughs) unreliable he's not on the he's not he's not extremely reliable let's say (laughs) i guess i just i didn't set out to write a book that way it was more just it was more just following um the characters and seeing who they were and what they wanted what they were doing with one another why they were even on the page that narrative voice arose out of that i found it just fascinating to to see him coming out of religion and what he's not used to and what he's not accustomed to Mm. but also he he's not wealthy and he goes to college with um a bunch of guys who wear nantucket reds and (laughs) (laughs) go yachting or something (laughs) (laughs) but like did were there things you you or Mm. will like didn't know like mm-hmm. from the get-go, upon re- getting into the secular world fully. Oh. I mean, there's a lot Will doesn't know. And so yeah. there's, <laughs> there's so that. There's the part when um yeah, when he's when he's at like a party and people are dancing and he's like, I have no experience of dancing. Yeah. Like as like someone Will has having grown up very religious, Will hadn't been on a lot of dance floors. There is an extent to which I brought some of my own experiences into that. I when I was religious in high school, I you know, I tried not to listen to like secular music. Right. Like that was the kind of thing that like pastors would say would like secular music is just, like more sinful. And so I listened right. to a lot of Christian music. I listened to a ton of classical music. I was also mm-hmm. pretty serious about the piano. Um and classical music was just fine. So then when I when I got to college, I realized, oh, and this is the other thing. My parents, I'm Korean. My parents didn't want me to watch TV really and like because they were just like it'll it's bad for your brain sure. and so yeah. um and I say Korean because a lot of Korean people including my parents are like pretty education focused mm-hmm. and so they were just like it's a distraction like you don't need it right. and so I didn't really watch any TV growing up either and so um by the time I got to college people would just like people would make references to things and I would just be like <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that is <laughs> like what are weezers like <laughs> And so that that was like a that that's actually still a thing for me. Like very often someone will bring up something from pop culture and I'll have no idea. So my strategy now is just to I don't it's it doesn't even really bother me. It's more just that like I don't want to like draw attention to sure. I don't want to like derail the conversation to be like, oh, it's Reese not knowing a, um, a thing again. <laughs> right, right. And so I just like stay quiet and like not along. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Fair. What was what were some of the things that you first really grasped onto when you were when you were watching TV or listening to secular music? This will I don't think I've ever talked about this part, but um okay. After I got into college, when I'd gotten just a little bit more chill about my studies, I I was like, Well, I've been this like extremely studious, extremely driven student for a long time. Um, I had never tasted alcohol. I had never like right. I hadn't I definitely hadn't had sex. Like mm-hmm. I'd like barely kissed a couple of boys maybe um so then I just started watching of all things Dawson's Creek oh sure not because I just wanted to know what like 
not normal is the wrong word, but like what like other high school students were up to. Like I wanted mm-hmm. to know how to like, if I were, I was like, do I, ha- I feel as I'm going to have to fit in a different way. How do I do that? And so <laughs> I watched, yeah, I tried to learn. I tried to learn how to be like a teenager. And so, so Pacey, when he sleeps with his teacher, that was, <laughs> <laughs> I know I was like, this is wild. Like these children have no parental supervision. None They're just wandering all. around. They're never studying. <laughs> yeah, they're talking about film and hanging by the creek. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. They're like sleeping over. My parents did not let me sleep over at anyone's house until um maybe like junior year of high school and that was and they would only let me sleep over at people's houses when it was for like a group project. So when it was for school and we were staying oh. up late. So I missed out. I still regret this. I missed out on all those pivotal 13-year-old, 14-year-old sleepover parties when you stay all night. My, my, I mean, they're very sweet um, and very close to them. They would pick me up at like 1 a.m. They'd be like, you can't sleep over, but we'll pick you up at 1 a.m. So I could stay for a little bit, but then I would miss the like real the real shit, you know, like when the like real gossip goes down. <laughs> I was the exact same way. Uh, and it was – my parents would claim that it was because – and I think they're right. Um, I would get sick if I stayed up all night. Oh, yeah, so I they guess never as a kid, yeah. that's fair. So I would like, but I would always feel like I was leaving just when shit was starting to get good. Yes, <laughs> like it would be right whenever it was talking about like starting to like confess. They were like crushes. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah. I need to go now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're destroying my social life. <laughs> I have to touch on this because I'm sitting across from you for the first time in real life. And I'm looking at your beautiful face and and your eyeliner. Tell tell me a little bit about that for or tell listeners a little bit about that for people who don't know. Sure. Um, so I uh, well, first of all, I'm delighted to be sitting across from you for the first <laughs> time. I feel so we've like chatted online for like with uh, for Years. a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I've been following your work for so long and admiring it. And anyway, I'm. I'm so glad to be here. Um, but okay. So I started, I don't even know the timeline anymore. Like it was like maybe three years ago. Um, I was just like in a really bad place, not in a really bad place, but I I was like, I was on like year seven, seven and a half, eight of my novel that I've been working on. Um, and I just was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was just like a little down, you know, (laughs) like what am I doing with my life? And, and then I just, you know, like I kept, and I would go out into the world and I would just seem cheerful. I think like I read as being like pretty cheerful. I read as being pretty happy. And I just hated that my exterior was not matching my interior in any Mm. visible way. And then that was when I just started playing around more with eyeliner. And and then I just sort of like settled on something that made me look a little less, a little less like, 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 like a cheerful person just wandering around her day, you know? Yeah. Um, that's when I started wearing and, and wearing like heavier black eyeliner. <laughs> and so now it's your signature look, you could say. <laughs> Although now I'm thinking about switching it up. I don't exactly oh, know what I I'll mean, do. I mean, you can. Yeah. I, you should. I, I know. I don't know what I, I don't know what. I'm, I'm like not actually very good at makeup, you know? Like I'll like hit on a thing and I'll just like do it for years. Like, right. Like I like, I like use the exact same like brow powder that I've, I've been using since... 
high school when I went to prom and the woman at the clinic counter like put it on me. (laughs) Check these out. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, that works. And I've never really switched it up ever since. (laughs) But so, yeah, I'm not like, I don't like have like very many like makeup skills, but, but we'll see. Maybe I should like look at like those tutorials that people like watching. They're, they're weirdly addictive. Mm, mm. Do you have any, any you'd recommend? Mostly, mostly they're things on Instagram. I'll DM you. (laughs) (laughs) What else have you been reading in this past year? What what else is good right now? I really love Esme Wing's book. It's it's collective schizophrenia. I think I saw that she's going to be. She might be on here. Or I'm waiting for her to come into New York City so we can do it. Awesome! I love that book so much. It's just like so brilliant, so compassionate. It Um, is. So generous, um, but also so rigorous. Agreed. There's a forthcoming book from Pam Zhang, um, How Much of These Hills is Gold, and it's coming out um, in like April. Okay. It's about a Chinese-American family in the midst of a fictionalized version of The Gold Rush. And so, ah. which isn't a story that like, I never read like a book-length account of what it, of right. Chinese-Americans during The Gold Rush. And like, of course, especially they given the time, yeah, they were there. And it wasn't easy, you know, like it was <laughs> no kidding. It wasn't easy at all. And so it grapples with race in really profound ways. Um, it grapples Great. with grief. Um, there are like bizarrely beautiful, grotesque descriptions, like prolonged descriptions of a corpse that like I'm probably never gonna recover from. Like wow. <laughs> so that's really wonderful. And yeah, those are a couple off the top Yay. of my head. Thank you. And what else have you been listening to or watching or I'm watching, um, I mean, I guess everyone is. I'm still in the middle of watching the second season of Villanelle, which I love so much. Oh, yeah. And I've been trying to figure out what it is I love so much about it because there are, there are ways in like like that first season, things get a little cheesy, like things get a little, <laughs> a little things get a little too much. Um, but I think there's just something so exciting. Again, getting back to this question of like what women are allowed to right, want. Like right. they're, they're so ferociously devoted to pursuing what they want. And, and both a, of them are so good yes there's something about competence like competence is is fascinating you know (laughs) like seeing depictions of competence it the competence itself is fascinating competence is very sexy um yeah (laughs) yeah i I, i'm just i'm 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 so interested by by why that show is so interesting to me because normally like when there are elements of cheesiness i start getting turned off (laughs) um when like plausibility starts being stretched in ways that don't seem to follow the wor- the rules of the world right. that they're in. Right. I start getting really turned off. But but yeah, I've been really loving I've been really loving that show. I have to I have to catch up. <laughs> I'm also mid season. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's it's so interesting. Well thank you so much for coming in. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank Reese. you so much. This is delightful. Yay. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.